Our scripture reading this morning is found in Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 13. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me, as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, For he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it was this past summer. Uh, I was in the car uh, on my way home from the office uh, when I heard the most incredible news story. Uh, in fact, I, I was so blown away by it, I raced home immediately and, and began to, to Google the images. I wanted to see what it just, the impossible ha- had just happened. Uh, on June 3rd, uh, 2017, uh, Alex Honnold became the first person ever to free solo climb Mount El Capitan. Uh, it's a mountain in, in Yosemite, uh, 3,000 feet of sheer granite straight up. I mean, climbers come from all over the world to climb this. And they all do it with ropes and harnesses and safety gear and all, all of these kinds of, kinds of things. And still, some of them die. But this past summer, Alex, he just strolled up the side of the mountain. No ropes, no safety, no precautions whatsoever. Took him four hours. Let's watch one minute. Give me a minute, right? Anybody else feel just like a little bit out of breath? Like heart almost racing? Like if you're, if you're like me, okay, you have two reactions going on right now inside you. And I tested this out with my, when I first showed it to my family. Uh, this, is, this is how they reacted. This is how I felt. Two things in particular. One, I think you're probably amazed, right? I mean, it's pretty impressive. That kind of courage, endurance, strength, whatever. It's like, wow, okay, uh, we get that. Uh, on, on the other hand, I kind of want to punch him in the face, right? Like you idiot! Like, why would you do that? Like, how irresponsible. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's insane. Why, 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 right? And, and I think generally, like, this is, this is sort of how we feel when we encounter somebody who takes a really huge risk in life, right? I mean, on the one hand, I, I kind of want to be that person. Like, I want to have that kind of courage. I'd like to do something brave and exciting, right? But on the other hand... I'd rather just stay on the couch, right? (laughs) 
Like, I, I, am, not, I am not a risk taker, not, not even a, a little bit. And it's one thing when it comes to climbing, risking your life climbing some stupid mountain. Uh, it's, it's another thing altogether. When if, when if you think about it, and the more I've wrestled with this, like, doesn't, doesn't life with Jesus necessitate at least a little bit of risk? In fact, if you want to know what somebody really thinks about Jesus, just ask them this question. It gets right to the heart of it. You're not going to like it. I don't like it either. Um, ask this question. How willing are you to risk everything important in your life for Jesus? Ugh. Some of you might recall last year we, we did a survey of our, of our congregation from an outside organization to assess the overall health of our church and are we doing what we're saying we're doing. And this is, this is one of their favorite questions. Because, because for them and the research they've done, like this, this gets at the heart of it. Like, Are you willing to risk everything? Are you willing to give your life away for this, this faith that we have? Some of you might remember ticking off the answer, your answer to that question. Let me just say, how did we do? Not great. And I might have been part of the problem, right? Because again, like I, I admire those faith-filled risk-takers, Mother Teresa and Martin Luther. I, I mean, good for, good for them, right? But not, not for me. And, and how easy it is, how often you and I, let's be honest, how many times we've had the conversation, yes, Jesus, you can have everything, Everything. Just, you know, don't put my family in harm's way. Make sure I have good health. Uh, don't ask for too much of my money. Or now that I'm thinking about my time, either. And don't, don't ask me to do anything uncomfortable or weird or hard. or Like, I mean, as soon as you start listing off the exceptions, like, we could be here all, all day, couldn't we? And yet, when I read Jeremiah... No, I don't think God is calling me to climb El Capitan. I already asked Kelly. She said no. <laughs> Yet when I read Jeremiah, I can't help but wonder, what does Jeremiah know that I don't know? Because when I read his story and his, his account, his, his own words written out during this time, inspired by God there in that place, you just can't miss it. Jeremiah knew life with God is risky. Like, if you're, if you're really with him, like the true God, not the one that we imagine who's just going to pat us on the back, right? The, the, the one who actually is, it's not safe, it's not comfortable, it's not easy. The life with this God is going to be risky. So are you willing to risk everything? Would you do this if God asked you to? Ugh. Don't worry. God's not asking us to climb some silly mountain. What God has for his people is so much bigger. Sounds fun, right? Let me pray, and then we'll look at these words. Father, we need your help. God, I know the love of comfort and ease, the cowardice that lives in my soul. God, would you break us of it? And would you show us God, would you convince us that life with you, not easier, not safer, not more predictable, but convince us, show us that life with you is better. 
and that with you there is great hope no matter what we encounter. But you have to do that work, Lord Jesus. Do it through your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Jeremiah 20. And if you've been with us this last month or so, we've been studying Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet during one of the worst times in Israel's history, right? And he's, he's been preaching and preaching and preaching. Like things are a mess in his nation. Judgment is, is all around them. And he keeps, he, bless his, like he just keeps doing it, right? Repent, turn from your sins over and over. For 40 years, 40, he preaches the same message and maybe has two converts, maybe, right? That's it. And so last, last week we saw... You know, Jeremiah's hopeful commands that when, when you get there, when you get to Babylon, seek the welfare of the city. Like, look for, for good, even as you live as exiles, be faithful to this God. But if you go back even further, right, you remember that when Jer- Jeremiah was called by God, it came with agony, with pain. Like, we looked at one of his heartfelt, like, agonized prayers, brutal before God, laying it all out there. God, I don't want to. Like, he's disappointed, he's angry, he's frustrated, and, and today it just keeps getting worse. Now, Jeremiah, he's... Just to set the context here, he's also a priest. So he works in the temple there in Jerusalem. And so he has this dual, dual role, and, and one day one of his co-workers, Pashur, um, possibly his priest supervisor, I picture him kind of like this guy, right? Uh, Michael Scott, world's best boss. Because this guy's awful. So he hears Jer- Jeremiah's latest sermon of repent or judgment is coming. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Now Pashur the priest, the son of Amir, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks. So picture this, right? Jeremiah, he's at the temple, he's doing his job, preaching his heart out. God's message. And a fellow priest, a man of God, somebody he should have worked with and trusted, who should have been receptive to God's word, beats him and then puts him in the socks, you know, something like this, leaves him there for, for like 24 hours. So all of his coworkers, all of his neighbors who come in to worship in the temple, they all see his humiliation and shame. And Jeremiah hears them all around. Look at verse 10. For I hear many whispering terrors on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take a revenge on him. They're, they're laughing, mocking, plotting. Friends like these. And again, Jeremiah prays, outraged, broken down, hurting, angry before his God. Because he's taking the risk. Yes, God, I'll do it. And now it feels like he's plummeting through the air without a safety net. You going to catch me, God? You going to do something about this? Life with God. It's risky, dangerous, hazardous. And Jeremiah knew life with this God, it is anything but comfortable. It's anything but comfortable. That, that, that confuses us, right, culturally, because we live with such comfort. We just assume that comfort is kind of part of it, right? And listen, like... If, and I know, I, know I, I, I say this often, but sometimes we think, man, if, if I'm with Jesus, life should be easier for me, right? It should come with less risk. He's God of the universe. He loves me. He can do anything he wants. Like, it should, it should be smoother. It should come with some of these little perks along the way. But the reality is, and you cannot miss this with Jeremiah, like, you, you can do everything God asks you to. You can fulfill whatever God has called you to. You can do it with every bit of gusto. You can be every bit of as righteous as Jeremiah himself. 
and still be profoundly disappointed with life. Still face things falling apart at every turn. Frustration, disappointment, discouragement, pain, violent, violent oppression even. I mean, just think even of the early Christians, right? Thrown to the lions. Or the places today, we forget about this, where per- persecution continues to abound in many places over the globe. I mean, let me tell you, a new, a new Christian in Iraq or Sudan, like, they know how risky it is. And for them to sign up with Jesus is to lose everything, maybe even their own lives. And yet, I'm just so comfortable, right? And I like it. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor who uh, was an atheist, who, who became a Christian, uh, later on in his, in his life, around in his 30s, uh, he, he once said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of wine or port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So let me just ask, is your faith too comfortable? It's too easy. Riskless. There was a painful blog a couple weeks ago in the gospel, from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, if you want the pain to continue after the sermon, just go ahead and read this. Um, it's entitled, Eight Signs Your Christianity is Too Comfortable. Let me just summarize a little bit of it. Um, a few of them. So your, your Christianity is too comfortable if your friends or coworkers would be surprised to learn you're a Christian. Oh, really? Hmm. Your Christianity is too comfortable if there's never any friction between your faith and your political party. It's too comfortable if there's no connection between what you learn on Sunday and how you work on Monday. Your Christianity is too comfortable if no one at your church ever annoys you. (laughs) Meaning we're all the same. We all like the same things, do the same things, look the same way, have the same values, right? We just all kind of get along, right? You're too comfortable if you never feel challenged but only affirmed. And we could add to that, right? It's too comfortable if you parent with the same goals as everybody else. Or if you come to be served instead of serve, to receive instead of give, if, if you've never experienced the real cost of forgiveness in a relationship, life with the real God is supposed to be risky. Don't get too comfortable. Okay, so Jeremiah. Again, we find him praying. He does this a lot. And his prayers are deeply honest and sometimes ugly. But he's praying to God, and it's, it's heated. It's almost like he starts off, God, life with you should come with a warning label, right? should be right here, Surgeon General, like, reading, taking this book seriously is hazardous to your health. God, you said I'd be a strong tower. Did you lie to me? Like, you, you said that you'd be with me. And Jeremiah is seriously thinking about quitting. He just wants to be done. Like, I'm not going to preach this message anymore. This is what happens. I'm, I'm out, God. And, and so he prays in verse 9. I mean, it's kind of his, his attempted resignation letter uh, to some extent to God. He says, if, if I say, I will not mention him, God, or speak any more in God's name. Whenever I try that, and believe me, I've tried. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot I want to quit. 
I've tried, I've considered it, and yet when I, when I do, my heart bursts in, into flame. My, my bones ache with this message, and I, I just can't keep it in. I mean, have you, have you ever felt that way? Knowing what God has called you to, but wanting to throw in the towel anyway. Of course you have, right? Maybe a relationship, man, this is just, it's too hard. Your marriage. Maybe, maybe your job or your school, you know God has put you there, and yet you're just so discouraged. Or maybe you're even in a situation like Jeremiah, and you know that something needs to be said, right? Like either you need to apologize or you need to ask uh, for forgiveness or, or, or offer, offer forgiveness, right? Or maybe somebody you need to con- confront or encourage or tell a little bit about, about Jesus or maybe even share part of yourself that you, you've kept hidden and you know that if you open your mouth, you open yourself up to risk. And we see it in Jeremiah's life. Like he's done. He wants to quit. And yet here's the second thing. A life with God just cannot give up. He just can't do it. Like he, he wants to, but there's, there's something within him holding him fast. Like he, he wants to be done. But this is, this is part of the risk. And so I mean, he just keeps on preaching. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Martin Luther. Some of my favorite church history folks to, to study. Kind of crazy slash brilliant, if you know anything about him. Uh, two weeks ago marked the 500th anniversary of the, the Reformation. 500 years ago, this lowly monk, this nobody, right, he fell in love with God's word, which seems like it should be a normal thing for a monk, but it was, it was new for him. And he challenged the powers of Rome itself because he, he saw in, in this book a message worth standing up for. I mean, the church was corrupt at that time. I mean, not unlike the, the temple at Jeremiah's day. And, and, and Martin, I mean, he just, he just couldn't stop preaching, So much so that he was tried for, you know, treason slash heresy kind of back in the dark ages. It was sort of the same thing. And at, at his, his famous trial, like, he probably just assumed he's going to be burned at the stake. Like, that's kind of what happens in these situations. But he said these incredible words there. He said, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. So help me, God. He risked everything. But still, he kept climbing. And you and I, 500 years later, even if you've never heard his name before, like we owe him a debt of gratitude. He, he literally changed our world. And I know there are times when you want to quit. Me too. I mean, in my darkest moments, I fantasize about doing anything else, right? Um, I'm not good at anything else. I'm stuck, I guess. I, I guess this told Kelly, I told Kelly a couple weeks ago, I was like, I'm kind of in the mood for a midlife crisis, right? <laughs> she was not comforted. Um, but I, you know what I'm talking about, those moments, you just, it doesn't even matter what it is, we just, you know God has put you there, you know God has called you to that, but you, want, you just feel done. Have you told him, him? That's what Jeremiah does. Isn't that interesting? He wants to quit. He's like, God, we're done. But they talk about it, right? Like, have you, have you brought that to him? Jeremiah doesn't, doesn't hold back. And he knows a, a life with God cannot give up. Okay, all right. Yeah, Nathan. But why? 
Why? Why do this? I mean, people die mountain climbing all the time. And if you're saying that, that life with Jesus could come with, with persecution, death, or at the very least in our context with, with being passed over or mocked or, you know, that, that this, is gonna, this, could, this could hinder my, my family, it could cost me success or my, my reputation or my money or my time, then, then, then why? Why do it? Well, I'm glad you asked, first of all, because um, that is the right question. Why? Because if it's, if it's just the thrill of the climb and the glory of making it to the top, it's not enough. I mean, yes, Alex, we're all super impressed, right? But he needs to get his head examined. And for us, friends, it cannot, it cannot be risk simply for risk's sake. That's not the life we're talking about. It's risk for the good of our world that is so broken and for the glory of a God who has promised to make a way and to use us in the process to bring hope to, to the desperation around us. Which means if, if we're with him, then it's really not that risky after all, is it? I mean, sure, on the one hand, of course it is. Hazardous, dangerous. And life with Jesus could cost you everything. Don't be surprised if it does. But if you're his, what do we have to lose? And really, this is the only way that Jeremiah could make it, right? He knew that a life with God clings to hope. Clings to hope, that's the last thing. It has to, right? And I don't mean, I don't mean hope like some you know, pie-in-the-sky wish dream, like you know, winning the lottery or... That's not what I mean. The biblical idea of hope is like a rooted confidence. It's, it's an assurance that, that God is still God and that he loves us and what he said he's going to make good on. And, and so Jeremiah, I mean, even, even in his despair, look at his hope in verse 11. Crying out to God, he says, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They, they'll beat me. They're going to throw me in a pit, like, leave me for dead. They're going to put me in the stocks. They're going to hate me, despise me, and seek to destroy me. They will do all, but they're not going to overcome me. And let's skip down to, to verse 13. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. I mean, it almost feels impossible that Jeremiah could there in the, in the mo- moments of this, this deep and agonized prayer still cry out with praise. But it's because he, he hasn't lost hope. And so let me just ask one more question. Is your hope big enough to embrace the risk? Because that's really what it comes down to. Is your hope big enough, sure enough? We're all hoping it's something. Right? Whether you're a Christian or not, right? we're building our lives on something. Is your hope, your trust, your devotion, whatever you, you've placed in it, is it big enough to ultimately satisfy you and to be able to take this kind of risk? Another way of asking that is, can you say yes to God even before you know what he's asking? Hmm. You know, I, I can't help but think of the, the risk Several of you took 11 years ago. Um, as you stepped out of uh, a church that you loved, right, that was safe and predictable and, you know, 
familiar to, to start this right right here. And I mean, the risk of church planning, it is, it is hard. 11 years ago, like we, we didn't know if anybody was going to show up. And there were Sundays when we weren't sure they would, right? It was brutal at times. And there were times when we were deeply discouraged. And yet was, was the risk worth it? Or even, even this past Sunday, I was at our, our Shawnee Mission campus and uh, preached this, this same message there. And I thought about the risks that they took, and really us as well, because three years ago, if, you, if you're newer here, three years ago, we sent 120 people out from here, uh, from the church they loved, to go and start a new church there in, in, that, in that community, believing that, that God had called us to that place. And man, that's, that was risk for us. It was risk, it's, risk, it's still risky for them. Right? They're meeting in a school, right? setting up and tearing down every single week. It's hard. But as I looked out last week, there's so many faces I didn't recognize. And I hear stories of people who are coming to faith in Jesus. And, and that church there in that community is able um, to care for the marginalized there in that place. Like, we can't, we can't because of geography. Was the risk worth it? I even think about this, uh, this little thing that's going on over here in the back of our property, right? It's risky, isn't it? I mean, yes, yes, we're building, but we've said from the very beginning, we're not building for us, right? You haven't forgotten that, I hope. It's not, it's not uh, so that uh, life becomes easier for us as staff or volunteers. It's, it's, not, it's not so that we have a few more amenities at church, a little more comfort in the pews. I mean, the chairs. We're not building pews. Don't freak out. <laughs> but it's not for us, is it? It's for the community around us that is, it is even yet to come that we believe through your influence and through ours together are going to come and they're going to meet Jesus here and we're going to be able to care for those who are hurting unlike the ways that we've been able to, to care and help and love in the past. That's why we're doing it. It's, and it's going to change us. Like in a few months, I mean, it's just right around the corner, when we move into that space, we're going to be a different church. And at the core, hopefully the same, right? Pray for that. Please pray for that. But it's not going to be the same. But remember, whatever, whatever we give up in doing that, like, it's not, it's not about us. It's for the people who've yet to hear of Jesus, who've yet to give their lives to him, that together we as a church community get to welcome and love and care for. That's, that's why we're doing it. And will the risk be worth it? Because, you know, for Jeremiah, I mean, you know, again, bless his heart, like, this guy never saw success, right? Not a bit. He preached. Everything falls apart. He watches his own temple there in Jerusalem, God's temple, burn to the ground. And then eventually Jeremiah dies. And I can't help but wonder, did he, did he die wondering what it was all for? If, it, if his whole life had just been a colossal failure. You know, I wonder... I wonder what it would be like if Jeremiah could be with us today looking back over the last 2,600 years. I mean, what would he see? I mean, yes, there'd still be the pain of betrayal and the fists of Pashur, right? The agony that he experienced there, the mockery. And yet he'd also see that his words of turmoil, of, of heart, heartache, like his, his outcries to God have been translated into nearly every language on the planet still read by millions and millions of people for hope. Hmm. He'd see that 
these people who had oppressed him, who attacked him, the religious leaders, the political leaders, his own friends, they've all been forgotten or scorned. Meanwhile, people today continue to name their sons Jeremiah after him. And even more than that, Jeremiah, his ultimate view from the, the mountaintop, if he were able to look back, he would see that his, his biggest promise, we haven't got there yet, it's next week, but he, he saw coming this, this new covenant, this new promise that God was going to make with his people because he knows his people, us, we're, so, we're messed up, we can't just do more rules, right, and trying harder that we need, we need new hearts. And Jeremiah, he saw it off in the distance that God was going to do that. And looking back, he'd be able to see that that has been enacted, right? That there was another Jewish man who was scorned and hated, misunderstood and despised, who wanted to give up at times. Let this cup pass from me, he prayed. Who took the greatest risk. I mean, that our God entered into our broken world to his rebellious people, people who would by and large reject him, despise him, and put him on a cross. As he hung there, I mean, think of the agony and the, the defeat of the tomb, what seemed like absolute failure. And yet the grave could not hold him. For he burst forth for our redemption, our hope and wholeness, so that our, our hope is sure. That our confidence isn't in ourselves or our, our own ability to, to make it work, but in a God who loves us so much that he came to rescue us. And if that, if that is true, then we, we have nothing left to fear. Not really. Nothing left to hide. Nothing left to prove. Yes, yes, life with Jesus, it is risky, hazardous. And it will cost you everything. But every risk with him is worth it. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe these words. God, would you convict us, challenge us. God, and give us faith that this hope is worth it. That what you're doing in our lives and in our world and your plan, that far surpasses our individual hopes and dreams. Help us to believe that it's better. God, that we would be a people who give our lives away, who risk everything for our, our broken and hurting world and for the glory of your name. And God, I, I pray as well for those in other places of the country today, or of the world today, who, who don't have um, the same temptation towards comfort. God, instead they face fear and desperation in ways that we can't even imagine. God, I pray that you would comfort them God, I pray that you would give them hope and help us, your people here, be mindful of them. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. We risk in our life to make much of Jesus and to, and to love our neighbors extravagantly. That is a, that is a good reminder. And, and my prayer is that, yeah, that as we, as we understand the great cost in which Christ endured to love us, to rescue us, that that would compel us to live lives of, of, of a risky faith for the good of others. And so, yeah, I hope, hope you were encouraged and challenged um, in today's um, service. I invite you to stand for our benediction uh, as we read uh, from 2 Thessalonians. 
uh, as we leave to be uh, the, the people that God has called us to be, that we would live with risky faith, loving people extravagantly, sacrificially, and being willing to let go of all things for Christ and His kingdom. So hear these words as we leave this place. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may He comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go in peace. Have a great week. Amen.